Welcome back to Live a Little, our crazy little podcast with Pete Pranica and mindfulness educator and just educator in general and best-selling author Greg Graber. This is episode three, Greg, and uh, what, what do we got in the glasses here? So this is my favorite IPA. It's called Homestyle. It's out of Nashville. Okay. You can find it in a shiny black can. Okay. Probably any liquor or beer vendor, and I highly recommend it. All right, here we go. Uh, today's episode, uh, boy, what's going on? Boy, am I, you know, I could put pretty much everything in this episode under airing of grievances. I thought about you, about <laughs> one of the things that I predict you're going to want to talk about, and I, and I find it very interesting. I'm so. going to, I'm going to lead off with it. We're going to talk about Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown, dear listeners, for those of you who don't know, is the lead television announcer for the Baltimore Orioles, and he uh, opened one of his broadcasts talking about how the Orioles over the past couple of years were not very successful playing against the Tampa Bay Rays, which happens to be a pretty good ball club. And the Baltimore Orioles, dear listener, have not been good for the last couple of years. And so he pointed out that over the past two years, I think they were 3-18 and 18 in Tropicana Field. So at Tampa Bay, so add that to it. Um, they were 0-15 and won the last 16 series they had played against the Rays in Tropicana Park. And for this, John Angelos, the owner of the team, suspended him, except they weren't saying it was a suspension. He just mysteriously disappeared off the broadcasts. Uh, there are a couple things to this. Number one, the statistics he, were, he was quoting were in the game notes that day that were produced by Orioles PR. There was a graphic that was used. In the television world, if you put in a graphic, that graphic is built hours ahead of time, and it's a decision that the producer has made that we are going to, this is going to be our storyline. This was not Kevin Brown going rogue. And what he was pointing out was, hey, the, the previous couple of years, we were really bad. We've won three of five against Tampa Bay here in Tropicana Field. So, and the Orioles have the best, have the most wins in the American League right now. A fantastic season. So the owner says, "No, no, you're 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 suspended." And what's crazy about this? This is how this is how whack the Orioles organization is. That Brown was taken off of television, but they had to put him on radio like a day or two later because another broadcaster violated another sacred edict from the Baltimore Orioles, which is you must wear an Orioles branded polo at all times on the radio. Uh, he, he might have been a television announcer, and they, they had to shuffle the deck. I, I have no idea. So, you know, number one, the producer's complicit. The media relations department is complicit. And, oh, by the way, he was speaking facts, and he was basically complimenting, hey, this team is starting to turn it around against the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Orioles are like, uh, well, no, we, we didn't suspend him. We don't comment on personnel matters. Well, he just disappeared for, like, a week. He's going to be back on Friday. Uh, and last night, as the Orioles were at home playing the uh, Houston Astros, 24,000 fans broke out in a chant of free Kevin Brown. Oh, I love it. So he, he, got, he got that element of support from it. And a number of other broadcasters from the Mets, the Yankees, uh, my good friend Brian Anderson on TBS last night talked about it and, and just how ridiculous – the Baltimore Orioles and their owner, John Angelos, appear because here you're having the best year you've had in years. You have a very young, very good, very popular broadcaster who was speaking the truth, 
and we're going to suspend him, but we're not going to say it's a suspension. And then they, they kind of floated out there that, well, he was taking a vacation. Wait a second. Now, to be fair, in baseball, Major League Baseball, some guys do take vacations, particularly guys that are in their 60s and 70s. It's and a long season. It's a long season. But we're like, at that point, I think we're like three weeks removed, two or three weeks removed from the All-Star break. Nobody's taking a vacation two or three weeks after that. So, And, and what I want to point out, to our listeners, and I, you already know this, but team broadcasters are basically hired by, hired by the team. There are some organizations, like the Orioles, that want you to be a shill for the team, never say anything negative. We're really lucky. Brevin, Fish, and I are very, very lucky here in Memphis with Zach Kleiman and Robert Para and Jason Wexler. They just want us to be honest. Mm-hmm. And there are ways of being critical without being negative, without making it personal. You know, you know if, if John Morant makes a bad pass, you say, he made a bad pass. You don't say, he made a stupid pass. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are ways of, of doing this. And even with the off-the-court stuff, right? You still, I watch you, your broadcast. You still mention that stuff. Right. You're very matter-of-fact. You try not to be judgmental about it. Just here it is. Right, because, because the, the facts and the truth are always going to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And Evan Stockton, who used to be one of the voices of the Redbirds, is now with AAA Syracuse. And he, he knows Kevin Brown really well. In fact, Kevin Brown, I think, used to be uh, with Syracuse. In any event, he said, look, at the, at the end of the day, fans are not stupid. Okay? So why would you, you know, not, not be honest? The other thing, too, is you realize now that our games, and I'm speaking of the NBA, you know, we're on league pass. They are seen not only throughout the country by non-Grizzlies fans. They're literally seen around the world. And so for us in our jobs as team broadcasters to be too over-the-top positive where you know fans are going to like, okay, this is, this is not realistic, it, it doesn't do us any good. And I think one of the best compliments that we get is that people say, hey, I think you and Brevin are really fair. If the Grizzlies are playing well, you say it. If they're playing poorly, you say it. Now, you say it judiciously, of course, but you do say it. And so, you know, I was with an organization where we were told that the officials are out to get us and our guys don't commit any fouls and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are, there are owners and there are organizations like that. Thankfully, the Grizzlies are not that. And um, I, I feel bad for Kevin Brown. And this is an Orioles organization I should also mention. They ran off Gary Thorne, who's one of the better announcers, baseball announcers. And also the legendary John Miller, who, oh, by the way, is in Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame. But they ran him out of Baltimore because he was not enough of a homer. But that's the Angelos family. So, okay, I've, I've gone on long enough. I feel like it's almost <laughs> condescending to the, the true fans of the Orioles. It almost yeah. has elements of gaslighting. Like, you're so stupid, we're not even talking about this. Right. You know, I knew you would feel strongly about it. I don't I don't blame I had to actually watch that clip three or four times on Twitter. Right. And I still don't understand why he got <laughs> you, you why he's furloughed to Siberia or whatever. Yeah, you 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 are not the only one. I saw like an eight minute excerpt from the Dan Patrick show. And Dan Patrick said exactly the same thing. He said, I watched this three times and I'm like, why did you suspend this guy? Yeah. And some it, of the egregious ones I understand sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's, something ra- there's something racial, there's yeah. something sexual, there's something obscene. You know, yeah. Then you then you understand that. But he was basically saying, "Hey, the last couple of years have been been pretty bad at Tropicana Field, but now they're good." <laughs> yeah. 
it's just interesting. You know what? It goes back, and I'll, I'll I'll put a bow on this topic from my side with this. Sean Tui used to say something to me all the time. He said, "Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're smart." And I think that yeah. could be said for the Angelos family. Education as well. I see that sometimes. Yeah. You know. All right. So that's my soapbox as far as what's going on. What's going on with Mr. Graber? So I'm not traveling much right now because school starts back next week. I've been watching a lot of soccer. Uh, in particular... Come on, you gunners. I know, right? Did you see that? We didn't even talk about this. No, we didn't. The, the Man City. Uh, we beat Man City. So, of course, the Man City fans want to play it down to, well, it's just a friendly... Basically, it's a cup, and you get a dinner platter-looking trophy for winning this. But I think it's really promising for us. I meant to ask you, are you going to be there Saturday morning at 6.30 at the brass door for 6.30 a.m.? Well, let, let, well, well, we'll see, because my, my cousin is coming in from Los Angeles for the golf tournament. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can, can drag him down there, see how he feels about it. But he's, he's coming in, I think, midnight Thursday. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. So also on the soccer front, I have a bit of a confession. I didn't get up early to watch any of the Women's World Cup. I feel terrible for that. You know, I can get up at 5, 5.30 to watch Arsenal during the league uh, play on weekends, but it's just really difficult at 2 or 2.30. So I did watch some replays and highlights. And it's interesting to me all the conjecture that's going around and the talk about why we lost. Is it we just didn't play well, the team wasn't focused, has the rest of the world caught up, all that kind of stuff. You saw Megan Rapino, right, got a lot of yeah. grief mm -hmm. for missing the penalty and then smiling. Someone who works in sports psychology and mental performance, I find that a little bit off-putting, a little bit funny. You know, we all process failure, disappointment, grief in different ways. Mm -hmm. I didn't read too much into that, did you? No, no, because... You know, somebody who is as experienced as she is, and I knew what she, she she's trying to go upper 90. Okay, I get it. You know, which is kind of unusual, I think, for a penalty kick. She missed it. And I, I took her expression to be like, I can't freaking believe I did that. Like, holy blank, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't I didn't take it as, yeah. I but, but the interesting thing, Pete, is these, these I don't know, pontificators, for lack of a better word, maybe wannabe pundits, who do not watch soccer, but every, once every four years, or maybe twice every four years, the World Cup, they're suddenly experts on it. Right. You know. They've never played it, they've never called it, they've never been around it, but yet they know. The only criticism I would give is, I, it, it, and it's not a criticism of what they've done. I think they've done a great job sort of on the equality front and on social issues, and I think that's really important. If you have that type of platform, and, you want to use it, I'm all for it. But I kind of think they lacked a singular focus, that being of just to win and get it done. I saw elements of that with it. Yeah, and I think that sometimes, well, they talk about championship fatigue. Mm -hmm. You know, in the NBA, yeah. you win a couple yeah. championships in a row, well, winning a third one, boy, that, that, that's really hard. I think to your point, I think there was some of the world catching up. I mean, we're, you know, saw Jamaica play really well. We've seen, you know, nations that are not known as soccer powers show well in the tournament. I think what I found very off-putting was the fact that people who would label themselves as patriots were happy that the U.S. lost. It's interesting how that is. So do you notice it seems like there are different fan contingency bases for, say, like guys like you and me that 
have a team in England like Arsenal. And then there are other people who deem themselves patriots who only watch the national team every four years. I'm not saying all the fans of the – it's not like that. It's not all right. of them. But there is a select base like that. Right. And what I couldn't believe is – I don't know why I was surprised. So many people were happy that they lost. These so-called patriots that supposedly support the team. And it's like go woke, go broke, all that kind of stuff. Megan – she gets on my nerves, to be honest, not so much because of her politics and certainly not because of the causes that she champions. More so, I think she puts a lot of attention on herself. Right. This may seem superficial with the pink or blue hair and all that. It's about the team. It's not really about you. And what was interesting to me in that last game, they really played well. Why couldn't they have played like that the entire tournament? Yeah, and is that a reflection on the coach? Because there's so much controversy around U.S. soccer and and who the who the managers are and and how the, all that plays out. Rapino is phenomenally talented. She Probably, did, arguably the best ever. Yeah, I mean, and does draw a lot of attention. And there were a lot of people who were happy to see her fail because of how she has been very uh, active in social issues. Yes, she she colors her hair odd odd pastel colors, and she is a lesbian. And some people took great delight in the fact that someone that follows that particular path uh, failed un, under a very very bright spotlight. I just you know. To cheer somebody's failure, I don't. I don't care what it is, even if it's the Los Angeles Lakers. To cheer somebody's <laughs> failure, um, it's. I. I it, it, it's not my thing. That, that's that's for sure. Even the Orioles at this point, we're not going to do that. <laughs> no, no, we want Kevin. We want Kevin Brown and and the Orioles to do well, despite John Angelos. But you're right about the winning fatigue. I see it with these college basketball teams that I work with as well. And I'll give you an example. Some of these one-bid leagues, you know, a, a league or a conference where only the automatic qualifier gets into the NCAA tournament, the big dance, it becomes more about not losing than winning. And I think that has a psychological effect. I think it's a bit of a detriment. Yeah, Candy. yeah. And also, I think Rose Lavelle should have seen the pitch a little bit more, too. I, you, I think so, too. Yeah. I, I question the lack of substitutions. Right during the whole thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, a lot of lot of lot of post mortem on on the women's World Cup, and unfortunately, the U.S. Uh, bounced out in the first knockout round. Uh, uh, Messi, can we real quick? Yeah, let's talk about on? let's talk about Messi. And you know, it's funny people. I don't know. Some people are complaining about well, Messi. They, they don't like the fact he's in MLS. Like, what's the problem? Some people are never happy. Seven goals in four games. It's amazing. So. We're around the same age. I was in that generation, that first generation of American kids that really sort of gravitated towards soccer growing up as a child in the 70s. So in Memphis, we had the North American Soccer League. Our team was called the Memphis Rogues, and we played the New York Cosmos. So I followed that league. I got to watch guys like Johan Cruyff, mm -hmm. Pele, Franz Beckenbauer, Carlos Alberto, Gerd Mueller. Um, I thought Pele was the pinnacle. I'm starting to think Messi may be it now. Yeah, very, very well maybe. And it's, it's great that he's come to MLS. I could care less if he's in his prime or not. Messi at 30, what is he, 36 or whatever, is he's still better than 99% of most active soccer players yeah, at I mean, this point. It's, it's kind of like, like watching Jordan, even when Jordan mm -hmm. played for the Wizards. There, yeah. were, there were nights when, when he was simply amazing, and, and Messi certainly is that. Um, 
How about let's I'll turn it to you and uh, you got some recommendations or a re a recommendation there? This beer is excellent, by the way. Yeah, I like it too. Let me take a sip. Yeah, there we go. So there we, is we will not we will not edit the, we will not edit the sips out of the this, this is this is as real as it gets doing our show prep in live time. So there is a great docu series on Netflix. You're not going to believe that I'm saying this, Pete. Uh, it came out earlier in the summer. I'm rewatching it with Holly because she hasn't seen it yet. It's called Arnold. It's about Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm -hmm. and and basically there are three one hour episodes. Part one talks about him coming from Austria, from really humble beginnings, on his way up to becoming the world's greatest power lifter. Part two is about becoming a movie star, and part three is about becoming the governor of California, mm -hmm. which is, I think, the third biggest economy in the world. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Like, I never really thought about him. I know this is shocking, but I'm not really into action movies and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I never have been. That's not my thing. Um, but the way that he talks about, he visualizes things and back to that singular focus phrase that we used with the women's soccer, uh, the way that he just knocks out and accomplishes whatever he sets his mind to is amazing. Um, I highly recommend it. it. Not only is it entertaining, it's, it's informative and it's inspirational. And, and it, he is an intriguing individual because not only... The bodybuilding and the weightlifting and being the movie star and governor of California. He, 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 uh, there's also the Arnold Classic, which takes place in Columbus, where there's bodybuilding, there's combat sports, there's everything. And, and he's just been massive. And, and he has taken real advantage of social media as well. And what he's done, too, and I find intriguing about him, is he's been so inspirational to people to get in the gym, to work on their body, to take care of themselves, which I think is something that is very much needed. I'm sure I'm sure he was on the President's Council on Physical Fitness oh, back yeah. in the day. In the seven and he and he's not even necessarily what we would consider like I don't know, no one is perfect, but he definitely has his flaws. Oh yeah. You know, he uh impregnated their housekeeper and he had a child and Maria Schott Shriver left him, but he owns his mistakes. Um really interesting. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm. This is not really a recommendation, like of a program or anything. But I want to recommend the Tennessee Titans. Oh, I'm gonna. Can I stop you for a second? Not to be rude. <laughs> Go right the, ahead. I mean, this is before you lived here, Pete. I think you came in. Don't, don't, no, oh, you're I, gonna let me talk. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> let you talk. I know where you're going with this. So, yes. the Tennessee you, you Oilers. You moved here like 2004. Am I Mo right? Moved here in 04, right? Yeah, yeah. We've been friends for a long time. So, um. Yeah, the Oilers. You know, Nashville basically, when the Oilers announced that they were going to move to Nashville from Houston, they put them here. They were originally going to put them here for us to babysit the team for two years. They were here for a season. But in true Memphis fashion, we didn't support the team. We supported all the away teams. So they decided about, I believe, halfway through that first season – they were going to go to Nashville and play in Vanderbilt Stadium because we'd been trying to get a team here for about 30 years. So I'm a little bit flabbergasted that you would even suggest that a good Memphian like myself could bring himself to support. I'm not trying to, to crap on your recommendation, but like, <laughs> well, well, here, here, here's, well, here's why. And, and, and listener, I am a part owner of the Green Bay Packers. 
by the way. <laughs> so, um, no, actually, my recommendation, maybe it's not so much for the Titans as it is for the head coach, Mike Vrabel. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that he is having his defensive line and assistant head coach, Terrell Williams, be the head coach this weekend when the Titans play the Bears in a preseason game. And Vrabel's going to stand back. He's like, you know, you want to talk to me, that's fine. But you, you're getting the red challenge flag, and you're going to be on the headset, and you are calling the shots as far as timeouts and plays and, and everything else. Uh, Terrell Williams is African-American. In the NFL, there are only three African-American head coaches. There's an average turnover of seven head coaches every year wow. in the NFL. And the NFL has what they call the Rooney Rule, which is designed that every team, when you have a coach opening, that you be as broad in terms of the people that you bring in for interviews, that you do interview people who are white, African-American, you know, whatever nationality. So it's not just the old white guy network, which it kind of sort of is, or in some cases, off, off the, you know, the, the Shanahan coaching tree, it's, it's the young white guy uh, group. I just, I just think it's really good because we see this, okay, in the NBA in summer league where the head coach never coaches, almost never coaches summer league, and you let one of your assistants do that. And I think this is really cool for Mike Vrabel to say, I'm going to give my assistant head coach an opportunity here so that maybe when another opening comes up, he interviews and, well, have you ever been a head coach? Yeah, it was a preseason game, but yes, I was the guy. All right, I feel like a cad now. I should have let you speak. I'm sorry. That's what I get for interrupting. <laughs> yeah, but I, but no, I, I mean that's I, really I, cool. No, I mean I, I do take your point. Yeah, the whole because uh, I I saw it from a distance. The whole Tennessee Oilers in the Liberty Bowl for a year, then they're not there, and it, you know it it was it was an odd odd situation. It's time we let it go, though. It's kind of like the John Calipari thing. <laughs> <laughs> Time to let it go. Speaking of college basketball and college athletics, airing of the grievances. Here we go. This is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be good. Um, NCAA, probably the most worthless organization in the history of Western civilization. Why? Because for years, all they've been concerned about is recruiting violations, what you can talk to a recruit about, who you can recruit, uh, what you can give them, what you cannot give them, how many days you can practice. Meanwhile, the conference structure of college athletics in the last two weeks has gone, as they say down here in Memphis, cattywampus, <laughs> to the point where the Atlantic Coast Conference is thinking of adding Cal and Stanford, Oof. which makes zero sense. Uh, you've got four teams, I think it is, from the Pac-12 that have now gone to the Big Ten. And it's, it's just it's absolute insanity. And the NCAA is powerless to do anything about it. The, the, the conference commissioners and the um, presidents of the institutions, they're chasing the money. I get it. I understand it. But I, I don't think that it is good for the sport overall. Because you're going to wipe out some regional rivalries, I suspect. But there is an alternative. And, and what I like is something that Muffet McGraw, who had been the women's head coach at, at Notre Dame, uh, and Chip Kelly at UCLA said, you know what? For example, Notre Dame is independent in football. They don't, do, not, do not belong to a conference. But they belong to the ACC and every other sport. Chip Kelly said, why don't we just do this with football? I saw that. Foot it, make, it makes sense. Football, just have college football. Mm -hmm. 
and then basketball, uh, field hockey, soccer, you know, they can, you can go back to your conference affiliations because, I mean, really, you're going to fly the Oregon soccer team now to Ann Arbor, you know, rather than playing Corvallis against Oregon State. And I, I kind of think it's – I'd like to hear more about exactly how he'd like it structured, but I think it's an intriguing prospect because if you just said take how many ever Division One teams there are and you kind of make it like the NFL and you have it regional, your rivalries are going to be maintained. And I, I just think that's one way of going about it. You work a great deal with college basketball teams, so I, I really want to hear – your thoughts about all the conference realignment and all the crazy stuff that's going on. I mean, I could go on for about four hours just on the NCAA, but I'm going to try to refrain myself and hold back a little bit because I work with seven college basketball teams right now. A good friend of mine, um, I'm not going to say who he is, a coach said really what the NCAA should do is they should get out of everything except organizing and administering and running conference tournaments and the in like the big dance at the right, end of the year. Right. Right. Running the championships. Get out rule enforcement, realignment stuff, all that. I thought it was crazy a few years back, I guess it's been five or six years ago, when it all started really transpiring when Missouri got in the SEC. That felt weird to me. But now <laughs> yes. you're looking at West Coast teams going to the ACC. That just totally blows my mind. It makes no sense. I think I saw somewhere too uh SMU Weren't they mentioned as a possible ACC team? I just don't see them as an ACC-type team. No, no. And, and what what kind of grinds my gears, too, is that Memphis appears to be out, you know, without a seat and they're playing musical chairs. You know, Memphis, Memphis should go to a better conference, but nobody seems to be uh, contemplating them like to the Big 12. Jeff Calkins retweeted an article he wrote, I guess, a couple of years ago. Did you see it about is basically – is it because Memphis is a – primarily African-American town and university is racism playing into that. That's an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. But, yeah, you look at Memphis historically in basketball, how well they've done over decades. I'm not saying they're like UNC or Duke or one of those, but they're they're – more times than not, they're in the tournament. And I would imagine that they would deliver solid television ratings, which mm -hmm. is what a lot of this is about. It's about media mm -hmm. rights deals. And I would imagine that Memphis would deliver for the Big 12 a, a good number, better than, say, Oklahoma basketball. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. I've always found the NCAA to be sort of capricious and, and arbitrary, you know, uh, very sort of nebulous with everything that they do. It's like I'm working with these teams now, and I'm not necessarily saying anything is wrong with it. But it's a little bit weird to me when I have to look at a roster and there's maybe one or two returning players every year on these college basketball teams. Right, because everybody's transferring. Yeah, the, por just, the portals yeah. become the big thing. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm necessarily for or against kids getting to do that one free year, but it, I don't know. It just it seems like it's all over the place. To me, you're exactly right. It's about TV ratings. It's about revenue sharing. Um, and it's just kind of weird. You don't have these geographical rivalries like you were saying anymore. Who can get excited? Say Gonzaga's in the ACC playing Pitt on a Thursday night, right? I mean, there's nothing really – just doesn't do much for me. Yeah. Um, I, maybe I, we're traditionalists, Pete. I don't know. Which, but. which there's nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, you think about the Big East back in the day. Yeah. You know, the, these conferences just don't exist or they've fallen apart or they've gone away. It's just – I don't – 
I don't like the way college athletics is going in the main. And again, I'm kind of, not kind of, I am definitely old school because, you know, at Notre Dame, Notre Dame for the longest time did not take transfers. Mm -hmm. Kids didn't transfer out of Notre Dame. The commitment was you sign a national letter of intent, you're going to be here for four years. And this was before, obviously, the NFL that you can, you know, you can leave early and the NBA, you can leave early and and things like that. Where, I mean, we've gotten to the point now where because of all the movement of, of the kids, the educational component is, is like totally, oh, it's, it's, total, it's totally lost. I work, I'm not going to name the schools, but some of the schools that I work with, and it's definitely not Rice University because they're, <laughs> they're highly the, academic, right? Go Owls. The Harvard of the, of the South. But a couple of these schools, the kids are told just to take online classes. Not that I have anything wrong with online education necessarily. Someone I really respect. We didn't always get along when I worked with him, but I consider him a friend. Shaka Smart at Marquette has mm-hmm. had a different approach. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't believe, I might be wrong, he's taken any kids out of the portal. He's all about building team culture and sort of solidifying a group of young men you know, over a few years, and he's done a good job since he's been there. And I, I like that approach uh, because otherwise in college athletics gets to be just a, an NBA with different rules. Oh, it's a minor league. Basically, now all it is is minor league sports. Yeah. As an educator, it bothers me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it bothers me too because you know, and and I've had conversations with my my friend Sandy Adams, who has a wonderful podcast out now called The Fifth Quarter. By the way, love Sandy. Love love Sandy Adams. Shout out Sandy Adams. Um, just talking about athletes after they, you know, their careers are done. Yeah. And what did you get from your college experience? And for a lot of the kids right now what you got out of your college experience is going to be negligible. Well, they all think they're going to play in the NBA or they're going to go to Europe. First of all, it's not as easy to go and play in Europe as most of these kids are either think or led to believe, whether that's from their coaches or their families or their homeboys or whatever. Um, But I remember Josh Pastor saying once in a Memphis practice to these guys, you've got a better chance of being struck by lightning twice in the same day as making it in the NBA. Yeah. And Josh, you know, he's kind of like the rain man in some regards. He actually ran the numbers and, and did the research. So yeah, it is. Yeah. You get, get that real degree. Whenever I'm working with a young man and I'm like, what's your degree? And it's something like economics, business, pre-med. I'm like, wow, good for you. Because mm-hmm. yeah. more times than not, not that anything necessarily is, is wrong with it, but sports management, rec, forestry, whatever, you know. So Yeah, I... One of the things that Lou Holtz would always tell kids when he was recruiting them to Notre Dame is like, your college choice is not a four-year decision. It is a 40-year decision. But, you know, sometimes young people blinded by uh, the dollar signs and the bright lights and maybe parents that, you know, are, can't wait for their kid to buy them a house or something, you know, things, things really get sideways. Everyone has their fingers on these kids, everyone. Guys they went to high school with, friends, family, agent types, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, and it can be very, very difficult. Well, when we talked about this uh, offline before we hit record on this, you said that uh, you had you had some mindfulness that, that tied into this. Yeah, let me get my progressives on. You know, you reach a certain age, and do you know the difference between progressives and bifocals? Uh, yeah, I think so. Semantics. Semantics. They're the same thing. thing yeah, they're, they're, so. yeah, they're basic, basically bifocals. Bifocals with a fade. I think so. So we were talking a little bit about the women's 
national soccer team and sort of what I conjured up one of their issues was the lack of ability to have a singular focus. I think that's important when you're trying to accomplish a goal together as a team. That should be the one main thing that you think about. However, when you're not on the pitch or the court or the field, it's important for all of us, not just athletes, from a mindfulness perspective to have a diversified identity. So one of the first things that I do when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, whether it's with a corporate executive or an athlete, an educator, whomever, I'll have them make a list of what are you, number one to 20, and write down 20 things that you are. Hmm. So it's inevitable the first one typically will always be what their job is. Right. Especially if it's like a basketball player that mm -hmm. I'm working with. It'll be like, I'm a basketball player. And mm -hmm. I try to correct them. I'm like, no, you're a guy that plays basketball. You play it well, but you're not a basketball player. They'll look at me like I'm crazy, and I'll say, well, what happens if you blow your knee out and you can't, God forbid, you can't play basketball anymore? Well, that would suck. Yeah, because you have so much of your identity tied into that one thing. Mm -hmm. You need more eggs in your basket. It's the same thing. Let's say that someone is married, their spouse leaves them, and let's say you know it's a housewife that has her whole identity tied into being a wife and nothing else. So when we're able to see that we're different things, whatever it is, I look at someone like you. You're you're a prime example. Um, I hope a good, good a good example, example of something. No, good. you're a you're a you're a Notre Dame alum. We talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. I love that you're passionate about that. You're a pilot. You're you have one of thirty unique positions professional professionally mm -hmm. in the world, right? Aren't there thirty NBA right, teams? Right. So you're an NBA play-by-play -play announcer for the Grizzlies. You're an actor. You identify in a lot of different ways. So let's say, not that you ever have, I've never seen it. Let's say you don't call a good game or you flub something up at work. It's been known to happen. I've never, <laughs> I promise, I've never, I'm not just saying this because you're my guy, I've never seen it. Um, but you're not hanging on to that and you're not depressed. It acts as sort of a buffer for us, for our emotions, when we can do that. So I saw a great quote from Alex Morgan, you know, the striker of the U.S. women's national team. I'm going to read it now that I have my progressive bifocals on. It says, with soccer, I love it, but it's not my identity. It's not everything of who I am. I think a lot of people see me as Alex Morgan, the soccer player. But I hope they start to see me as Alex Morgan, the activist, Alex Morgan, the entrepreneur, and Alex Morgan, the mom. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. You can still have that singular focus and be myopic in training and during the match, but afterwards, win, draw, lose, you need to know that you're much more than your performance. And, and that would be sort of my mindful moment for the week for all of us to keep in mind. So there's an element of compartmentalization. Without a doubt. There, which not everybody is really, really good at. And I think that it's one of the things we do see, particularly with athletes, is to your point, what are you? I'm a basketball player. Well, you play basketball. That's something that you do. It's not your total identity because, like you said, if there's some tremendous injury, then, okay, well, then what are you? And mm -hmm. then you have to go kind of go down the list. So, no, I, I think that's I think it's really important. And, and I think with 
it, this goes back, and, and someday we'll talk about Ryan Holiday and the Daily Stoic and the whole Stoic philosophy thing. But it is about the ability to compartmentalize and to be also well-rounded, mm-hmm. just to have other interests. Uh, you know, and I know that there are some people that if I, they, they say, well, I suppose you just watch the NBA every single night. It's like, no, I don't. Well, it's funny. Years ago when I started off in education, before I became an administrator, I was an English teacher and, of course, a soccer coach. But people would give me Shakespeare books for Christmas. That's the least thing that I want, right? It's, mm-hmm. It'd be like someone giving you an NBA almanac or something. Right. It's like, I love what I do. I want to think I'm good at what I do, but I don't want to be thinking about it all the time. You're right. That, it's that ability to compartmentalize and know that performance is always situational. It, it has ups and downs. It's like, what, what does a lifeguard do on their day off? Do they want, really want to go back <laughs> to the beach? Exactly. You know, that, I always found that to be kind of crazy. No, I, I think, and I think that people who develop other outside interests, and I think, too, about people who are running to retirement, Ooh. that, hey, I'm 55 and I can retire, so I'm going to retire. And you're going to do what? Not that work is your entire life. Yeah. But, uh, you know. It's good if we can derive meaning and maybe a sense of joy from work as a byproduct. But in my book, Slow Your Roll, that you alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, I have a well, chapter. When's the follow-up coming out? Oh, my. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew that. I got to compartmentalize. It's got to be our running joke. Learn to, learn to ignore that. There's a chapter <laughs> called Working for the Weekend. Remember the, the lover boy song? Mm-hmm. Everybody is working for the weekend. Well, if you start Monday and you're just working and focusing on Friday, you're basically wishing uh, five-sevenths of your life away mm-hmm. by doing that. Yeah. It's like, and does it ever live up to its expectation? Does anything. Does Friday night, does Christmas, does whatever it is. Summer vacation. I remember as a kid, we'd be on summer vacation, and I loved it so much. I'd be like, in my head, we only got three more days of this. We only got two mm-hmm. more. We all do that. Right. But having this sort of self-awareness to know that we really should try to immerse ourselves in the moment and not cling to it and, like you said, compartmentalize and move on to the next thing. Have varied interest and identify ourselves in multiple ways. Because we all have things that we like to do or that brings meaning to our lives. We just don't always, it's not always in our conscious forethoughts. Yeah, it, it really, it is about the journey. Mm-hmm. And I remember a story that Brett Favre told after the Packers won a Super Bowl in 96. He said, I'm standing there on the podium and they're handing me the Lombardi trophy. And he said, the only thought that I had in my mind is, is this all there is? Yeah. And he said, what I remember most is the bus rides and the locker room and the plane flights and the practices and all the other things. And it's something too that you know, when you when you ask me about an NBA season and, you know, what do you remember about the season, you remember certain cities that you visited, you remember certain dinners that you had. Yeah, I mean, you remember the games. There's, there's no doubt about that. But it's the journey. And if you don't appreciate the journey, man, you're really missing out. Well, it's funny. People always ask, used to ask me, what's your favorite team to work with? And they, I think they would always assume it was one of the, the bigger ones, like an LSU or Marquette of Texas, a VC, whatever. But... Siena College is one of my favorite ones, and it's in Albany, New York, mm-hmm. not somewhere where you would think. It's just, you're right, the people and the places and the experiences. Um, 
It's just, that's what it's all about. And sometimes we overlook that. We're always looking for what's right around the corner instead of sort of soaking it in. Uh, John Lennon, I've had most of a beer now, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna wax poetic okay. with, a, with a lyric. What was that? Life is what happens when we're busy making plans. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. Yeah, I think it's true. No, without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, you're talking about looking ahead, so uh, let's let's put a bow on this thing. And uh, what what are we anxious about? What are we looking forward to? I don't like the word anxious too much. Oh, I, in well, my perf- I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a stickler, but um, what are we excited about? Maybe, or what are we grateful for that's coming around the corner? Maybe. Yeah. Not that we want to look too far into the future, but you have to a little bit, right? Got to be a little. Except in England, they say hope kills. That's the only right. So. <laughs> yeah, there was that line in Ted Lasso, it's the hope that kills you. So, yeah, that's a good one. So this is really cheesy. Something I'm looking forward to next week. When the kids start back at school, all my friends on Facebook, the different schools around the country will post the, the pictures of their kids. Okay. Going back to school. Some of them are the before and after. Like this was Johnny in kindergarten. Now mm-hmm. he's a senior. Yeah. I just, I think it's sweet. This is how it started. This is how it's going. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. I am looking forward to one of the best weekends in Memphis of the entire year, and that's the FedEx St. Jude Championship over at TPC Southwind. Um, it's great that, cause, you know, because I've been here 20 years, I've seen this tournament go from not having a title sponsor to maybe getting wiped off the TP, uh, the uh, PGA Tour schedule to FedEx coming back, basically saving it. Of course, we had the, you know, the, the, San, the Sanford financial issues and all that, and thrilled that it is the first event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, it raises a tremendous amount of money for St. Jude. Seventy of the best players in the world are going to be here, which I feel so good about because for so many years, the PGA just put this uh, – the week before the U.S. Open, and everybody skipped it. Tiger Woods has never been to TPC Southwind. So did, let me ask you this, because I'm not really a golf guy. I follow some of the main ones, and I like them, mm-hmm. like the mad scientist, DeChambeau. I think mm-hmm. Bryson name. DeChambeau. Mm-hmm. Brooks, I like his fiance. Is that his wife? She's easy on the eyes. Um, did Liv and PGA sort of merging or getting back together, did that help this? In terms of the we don't we don't know because there are so few details now I, I believe that Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner is in Memphis I think they've had a meeting of the board um, I, I nobody knows nobody really really knows and um, I'm part of the captain's club which is a booster club for the tournament and we had Will Zalatoris join us a few weeks ago who had won the tournament last year not able to play this year due to a back injury and he said look I really don't have a whole lot of information. So we don't even know as players what exactly is going on. So that remains to be seen, and there's a fair amount of controversy. But in the meantime, just looking forward to it. Um, Can we get you on record guaranteeing that you're going to win the Celebrity Pro-Am? <laughs> no, no, you're not going to get me can to guarantee take that. Take another sip. Let's see <laughs> if we can get that. No, no, no. I, I, I know myself too well. And some of these celebrities can actually play. You remember Michael Warburton? It sounds familiar. Okay, uh, uh, Seinfeld and the uh, the national um, the national car rental commercials. Big tall guy, deep voice. Yeah. Okay. He's playing. He is a huge. So he is a huge St. Jude booster. Really. And he has his own golf tournament in L.A. with all the stars. It's called the Warburton. 
and raises thousands really? upon thousands of dollars of money for St. Jude. And it didn't really, didn't really uh, occur to me, but a few years ago, so I'm in the celeb, they do a, a championship program on Wednesday, a celebrity am on Thursday. It'll be at Spring Creek Ranch. And one year they had a pairings dinner. I'm sitting at the same table with Michael Warburton. I'm going like, kind of look familiar. And then I heard him speak. And he has the real deep voice. He and Richard Kind, who had been on Spin City, when I lived in Portland, Oregon, they did a series of ads for Horizon Air, which is the commuter arm of Alaska Airlines. And they did something called the Clark and Lewis Expedition, where Clark is like super, it was Richard Kind, and he was like super, super smart. And Lewis was kind of the lunkhead. And they did these commercials that were just, they were absolutely hysterical. And so I said, yeah, you, you, you played Lewis in the Clark and Lewis commercials for Horizon Air. It's like, you remember that? Like, yes, I remember that. <laughs> But he's a big golfer. There, there are there are a number of people around the country that will run their own golf tournaments to benefit St. Jude, um, and so that's that's a lot of fun. So I'm definitely looking forward to playing in that tomorrow. My cousin Adam, who is also a podcaster, for you Star Trek fans out there, check out the Greatest Generation on the the Max Fun Q uh, podcast network. He's coming out here, and so we're we're, we're just going to enjoy being out there. Hopefully, we'll have better weather than we did have today um and i'm also looking forward to as soon as we uh as soon as we hit stop on the record button here i'm going to the theater not that, gonna... not that you're ready to wrap this up <laughs> well my, my my beer is almost gone your I, beer's I, almost i need gone. to get you on uh on air committing to come speak at school again at some point oh absolutely you good with that yeah all right yeah absolutely thank you we'll, we'll do kids that. loved it kids and adults all right so. good good we'll do that um yeah and uh yeah i'm gonna go to oppenheimer which Everybody says it's fantastic. I'm going to go see it in IMAX. Three hours. Three hours. So that goes against all the science that talks about our ever-decreasing attention span, our collective, collectively shrinking attention span in society now that we have. So we'll see just how good Christopher Nolan is. Yeah. I, th- I, seriously, Greg, that is one of the things I... Three hours. Man, three hours. I remember, I forget how long Patton was, but it, I, I, I didn't see Patton in the theaters because I would have been like six years old at the time. But the movie with George C. Scott, if you buy the DVD now and you pop it in, mm-hmm. it gets like an hour and a half in, and then the screen goes black and it just says intermission. So it's interesting. It's almost like the Netflix effect where a lot of shows are about 20, 25 minutes, and then it boots into the second one automatically. Mm-hmm. So I think if, if you break it up for some reason incrementally like that, it's easier to digest Yeah, for whatever reason. I don't know the science behind that. So, yeah, three hours. but uh, You'll have to let us know how it is next week. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do that on the uh, next one. So, well, hope you enjoyed the uh, third episode of Live a Little, our crazy little podcast. People like a Greg Graber. Uh, Greg, you can go back to, you're going to go back to work on the book. I'm, I'm on it. I'm going to write. I'm going to stay awake all night writing on that. I love that you're going to guilt me into writing a second book. You're going to co-author it, right? Did yeah. We, we talk about it. You're cool with that? You want to do that? Yeah, yeah. See, we're on record. See, all right. We, we got I got, the, I got the, you all, promising yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I promised today, all today. kinds of stuff. Well, we promise that we will bring you another edition of Live a Little, and uh, we would like you to promise that you listen, rate, review. Uh, we are on uh, iHeartMedia. We are on Spotify, we are on Amazon, and uh, we should be shortly here on Apple. We're still trying to get uh, the Apple folks to uh, to sign off on us. So uh, 
Appreciate all the support, all the downloads, everything. He's Greg Graber on Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll uh, see you next time. And we'll uh, all live a little. See you. <laughs>